0: And welcome to Dinesh Guarda, Cities ABC and Open Business Council series. We are a fast-growing YouTube and podcast thought Leadership channel, focused on profiling the global, leading, inspiring people, CEOs, authors, technologists, academics, and people that are fir- framing and creating a new vision for our world, and especially looking at solutions, how we can actually get better results for the problems that we are facing. In this channel, we've been actually highlighting ideas, products, inventions, software, books and solutions to the multiple challenges and opportunities we face in our cities and our society. But we face specially and we actually profile special people. People that are inspiring, people that are doing fantastic projects and people that are trying to transform our world with all the areas and all the challenge from fourth industrial revolution to blockchain, AI, and all the frontier tech technologies that are disrupting and as well, accelerating our evolution as humanity. This podcast series are produced and distributed on citiesabc.com and openbusinesscouncil.org and syndicated on intelligentishq.com, fashionabc.org, edgefink.com and tradersdna.com, our associate partners and as well media platforms. Today we have uh, uh, with us uh, Prakriti Podar, And Prakriti as I would kind of say, one of the wealthiest and more um, diverse uh, profiles you can find. So um, Prakriti Podar is a global authority on mental wellness. Uh, her work has been focused on mental health and well-being. And she's one of the few people that can marry technology, ancient wisdom, to deliver contemporary and effective solutions and unleash people's inner potential and to reduce the stigma surrounding mental health and uh, all the issues related. At the moment, Prakiti Podar is the VP and global head um, of mental and digital, probably, in different areas in terms of using technology and mental health for the company Round Glass. And the managing trustee of Podar Foundation, and as well, responsible for the organization Podar Wellness. She's the director and in these different organizations where she's been leading multiple programs. She's been focused on special the relationships between mental, emotional, psychological wellness. And she's been counseling and healing um, in multiple different centers and as well relating with corporate and the governments, which is kind of a lot of different things. So she's as well the Chief Strategy Officer for the Indian National Women's Parliament. And she has single on the strategic planning, direction, and execution of this organization in India, which is a very important organization to empower uh, women. And um, as well, a lot of problems related with that. Uh, so she's been as well. Um, just as another highlight of her, of her cV she 's been director of the peace Program where she developed and had the curriculum for the MIT World Peace University in Kotrud Pune and uh, among a lot of different things she 's been living in multiple different countries um, and as well multiple different cultures so welcome to our series
1: thank you so much uh, Dennis for having me here and it was a pleasure just to meet you so i 'm super excited about what the conversation we're going to have, and especially given your interest and your lineage of technology, I think uh, the marrying of the two is the only way for well-being to move forward. So this is very exciting.
0: I know I when we spoke uh, last time, I think one of the things that you mentioned was that since you were and you were very actually a child. You had this passion for healing people, and it came natural to you. Although you came from a very high-profile family, and they wanted to take you to a different area, so you had that this that vocation and that voice as well on you. So I would like to start by that because I think, especially someone like you, that has all these different areas of activity that is wellness, that is of course uh, cure, curing people, which is very sensitive. It touch psychology, it touch. Attention, rights. attention, a lot of different things, but you had that since a child. So I would like to start by that. And how you went and create the career and as well, your profile that you have right now since that early voice, let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that. You know, um, I don't often tell the story of, uh, of really what happened, but, um, I was, when I was born almost dead, so I, I didn't breathe for a long time. And, um, when I was born, I, I, um, I was, uh, uh, my, my, my family was preparing to tell my mother that, you know, she'd lost the child. And my grandmother was a very, very firm believer in um, Christianity and and in the power of prayer. And so she was like, wait, no, you know, I'm just going to do this because nobody else uh, can save her except for in her sort of in her belief only Jesus can save her. So let me help. And so she kind of came in and put the prayer of the cross like, on my on my left side and started praying. Um, and after the prayer, uh, I started crying. And there was it was written in all the newspapers uh, when I was born that this was a miracle child. And so she, um, because my parents traveled a lot, they were in the finance uh, sort of business. So we moved from New York to London to to Toronto, to, uh, uh, different parts of India. So it was constant traveling. So they left me a lot with my grandmother. So she was a huge influence in my life. And she used to work with the Salvation Army. She used to be part of the church. She used to, she used to be extremely, um, uh, focused on faith healing and, um, you know, was actually, I mean, had a lot of premonition. She's actually written a book as well um, with all her premonitions and, and, you know, what came out of it. And I was highly influenced by her and I'd wake up in the morning and this is quite interesting because I'd wake up in the morning to my uh, grandfather singing, uh, you know, um, Indian uh, hymns and her singing Christian hymns. So it was a very like, all, uh, you know, non-denominational space only just growing up with the fact that there's so many different ways to achieve the same kind of uh, peace in your life, and I think that was also something that um, influenced me. And she she said that you know Talitha, who's in the Bible, uh, was healed by Jesus, and and with her job uh, to heal other people, and and your job is always going to be to heal other people. And this, I was, you could say, brainwashed since I you know since I was a baby, I didn't actually know any difference. So whenever there'd be a sick person or somebody who needed help, she would get me to pray on them, and I would do that. Um, and I never realized that this was not something that everybody was doing because I kind of grew up with it too. Um, until I started to get a sense. And I think that you know my, my first uh, semblance of that was when I was eight and I thought, no, wait, nobody else is doing this and I better stop. Uh, doing this because it seems a little bit strange and people will you know think of me oddly so I actually you know went to boarding school and you know stopped doing any of that work I kind of like rejected that lineage mm. of mine um, until I you know moved to Toronto in grade 13. Grade 13 I had a bit of an epiphany because we have OACs here so I'd finished grade 12 moved to Canada and um, it was interesting because people were talking a lot about stress people my age you know grade 13 you'd be like 18 I, I suppose and I hadn't ever heard the word stress. Imagine, I'm 13 years old, we I've been boarding school, I've been all over and I've never heard the words boredom and stress because boredom we weren't allowed to feel in our home and and stress wasn't something we felt. And everybody was kind of talking about this and I thought it was really interesting that people in, in, in Canada, you know, at that age I was influenced massively by the fact that people could speak about their pain and were open to being vulnerable with another person, I mean, in terms of the counseling area. And of course, following the line of, of thought, I also joined the Salvation Army and started to work through my church with uh, a lot of people um, sort of doing back I was working with a community of battered East Indian women leading meditation and mindfulness journeys. And, i mean you can imagine i I'm, I'm, i was 20 at that point and and i there was a healing circle that i was part of and we would learned all these various healing techniques and we were sharing it with each other but there was a part of me because i also have like you said a a, a family that is extremely uh you know very very uh, focused on on finance so I wanted to study psychology. I was told every North American housewife has psychology. What a silly thing to do. Can you study economics at least, right? So I said, okay, fine, I'll study economics. And actually my first sort of internship and jobs were all the banks. Like, I mean, I did, I was with ING Bearings. I was with, you know, um, with this company in India called StratCap, like it was banking. And, and I was really good with people, right? Because, because my, my job is, you know, my, my, my character is understanding people. And you know, working with high-net worth individuals, making sure that their that their finances were taken care of and the stocks were put in the right place, was something that uh, came naturally to me. But it wasn't my passion. And so on the side, I kept building my other skills. And I thought, okay, if I can't do this, um, if I can't be um, you know a, a, a banker, which I don't want to be, how do I define myself? Because being a healer seems too abstract, and people don't understand that. So I started to build the skills. Um, being in a psychology class and having people talk to me and teach me, I have to say that I was massively disappointed. I was disappointed because they wanted to narrow my vision on what mental health was. And for me, well-being is, is way bigger than just a one point and a one focus sort of vision. And even in, in class, when you get these parallel visions, even when I see how, how mental health is being um, how mental health has been talked about in the current scenario—it seems to be extremely North American focused. And I mean, I know that people across the world, and I work—I mean, I've lived in places like Muscat for like eight years, which is in the Middle East, and I've lived in um, in India, which is a different body altogether, in Canada, and London. Now, you can imagine that every single culture has a very different take on mental well-being or mental health. And so, how can one philosophy? with psychology combined to being able to deliver what is, what is, you know, what has so many different probabilities. Something that we consider, for example, currently, as as we see it, it's all very individualistic. Even psychology is very individualistic. In countries like ours, it cannot be. We're more focused on on the community that we have. We're more focused on our, our family members, our parents, and and sort of doing for the other. So very, it's a very, um, It's a very different world. So what what applies here doesn't apply there. And I remember when I went back, because I studied counseling in in, uh, in Canada as well, when I went back to India, I had to retake it because I realized I had become exactly that, extremely focused on my personal journey and the personal journey is not good enough because we are a community, and so the personal journey—and that's what you see now. When you see the the impact of the coronavirus and COVID on people, is because they've become so individualistic that they've broken down and broken apart. Um, and we can talk about that later. So, you know, I just want to wrap up my journey. So the journey really continued and took me to various places where I became a doctor in clinical hypnotherapy. I became so it's a it's an alternate field of medicine. Um, you know, I, I'm a counselor. I'm a certified NLP practitioner. I'm anything to get me to help people through their mind into the somatics of their body is something I've studied and I do and I'm passionate about.
0: Well, it's it's quite an impressive, and this actually opens a lot of different things. So I, I want to touch one area um, that for me is very important, and I think for everyone listening to us. So you touch that your birth was almost like a miracle, or actually a miracle, like you just said, and I think. Uh, Um, I I can feel that being coming from a Christian background myself and I was educated by priests and bishops. So I feel that in double. (laughs) And actually, actually, I almost died as well when I was born. So I probably, I'm actually getting some, (laughs) according to my mother, I don't remember of course, but, uh, but um, what is interesting, and I want to touch this is let's say in, in uh, Christianism and any religion in history of religions, religion has been in one end, partly well-being and, partly as well rules uh, that allow us to create a balance in society. And um, India, where you're coming from, is particularly interesting because you have, of course, the Hinduism and all these different uh, like hundreds of religions that you have there. Then your background in your family in Christianism, which is a paradox in a lot of ways. But then there's well, all the areas of uh, healing and uh, spirituality, meditation on different things. So, and as well, then you have your family, more corporate level of finance, which is very Indian as well. So, I would like to touch that part before we go more to your fantastic profile, because I think this is quite, and that's made you so special because you have all this wealth of different areas, uh, both from psychology to healing. And, and especially, for instance, at the moment, we're feeling, at least that's what I've been feeling researching on this, and I'm very interested in well being for all my life and spirituality. but there's a very strong right now component of the healing as part of a new direction, almost scientific, but as well as social, and especially in technology, everyone is talking about this, but at the same time, there's still a bit of, okay, how much is this kind of just some, some kind of uh, E piece, let's put it that way. I'm trying, of course, not, me, not my opinion, but I, I just want to understand how do you uh, relate all these different areas? Because it's a massive puzzle and it's a very complex puzzle, but at the same time it's key for the new stage of development that we are as humans? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, uh, this is a three-day answer. <laughs> yeah, really yeah I know, be... I
0: understand. There's a lot of, uh, <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So uh, it's interesting that, um, you know, I actually uh, worked on uh, the peace program with a university in uh, Pune, in Maharashtra, which is in uh, India. And uh, the idea there was to uh, build a one-year, um, to a four-year program. So every student in the first year, they come in and they do the peace program and they do it in the second year and the third year. And, and we move from understanding peace, which is understanding yourself and understanding your role in your purpose in life and moving it further to um, to giving and sharing peace, to innovating in peace, to, to uh, creating larger networks of peace. So it was like the ripple effect of, of living in peace. Um, it was a hundred and fifty-hour program, and it was delivered. It's got. It's actually in the third year, and we're going to be doing an impact study hopefully soon. You know, I'm I'm pushing for the impact study because there's no point in developing something and then not understanding how it's worked with people. But the most important thing here, uh, and I want to highlight that, is um, when we talk about all these religions and the spiritual lineage of things and psychology. Through my research, I've understood that it all comes from one. Seed of thought, and all of it is the same. So if, even if you just take my uh, background, um, my grandmother was Christian, my father is not. Uh, my father was hin- My father is Hindu. My mother is Punjabi, and uh, you know, and so and Christian, but kind of doesn't. We don't follow, you know, religion. Um, I have a conversation with God and I, you know, he's my friend. So, you know, it's, 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 it's not really, I'm not going to church. And then I, you know, feel this connection. I feel it all the time. Right. Um, And, and, and it's, it's non-denominational. Like I will, I can call uh, this energy uh, whatever it is that I feel like in that moment, but I'm also very influenced by the Indian tradition where you don't find this anywhere where they say, Aham which is, which is, I am that, or I am God, right? It's the same connect. And when you feel that in power, you, you make sure that your life is lived like that. Now religion simplified that to give it in bite-sized portions, almost the same thing as what people are doing with, uh, with yoga, uh, meditation, mindfulness in, uh, in sort of areas that are not Eastern in India, right, specifically, because it's very different in terms of how it's done in India, very different how it's done abroad. And that's something that I am focused on even with brown glass to say, okay, let's understand the lineage, where does this come from? And, and what are people talking about? And, and why is it getting morphed? It's very important for me to to understand that I have thirst for knowledge of being authentic. but the religions are all speaking the same language. So every religion, you will see the stories are the same. The stories are the same. There's been a, a big massive flood. There's been a, like a tsunami. Um, there's, been, um, there's been these metaphysical uh, you know, animals of sort or nature, um, if you want to call it that. Uh, there's, been, uh, there's been betrayal. There's been uh, acceptance. You know? So it kind of goes through the same journey, every religion. So it's stories told in, through the point of view of the speaker. Like even if you take Buddhism, for example, it's not a religion, right? But it's supposed to be a way of life. Um, even their stories are the same. The story of Buddha is the same as the story of Mahavir and is the same story as, uh, you know, which, which you go back into a uh, spiritual discourses. All the stories are the same. So it's how we take that and uh, how it's been, it's been uh, sort of transformed uh, to, the, to be palatable to the audience. Um, and it's, it's very strongly just that. Uh, but, there's a, but beyond that is the higher power, the supreme power. And again, every single religion has that supreme power. You have journeys. And the same journeys, by the way, when you get into meditation and mindfulness is the same because you'll move in from any tradition of, of meditation and mindfulness. There are only two aspects to it. So there are only two aspects to meditation and mindfulness. One is really uh, looking at, it from the point of view of an object. So whether it's a mantra, whether it's um, whether it's a feeling, like I wanna, uh, my relationship is bad, I wanna make sure I get over this and how do I do that? So if I'm working with anger, I'm focused on anger. So it's focused, it's, my attention is focused on the problem and then I'm doing a, a resolution, whether it be meditation or uh, whether it be mindfulness or whether it be a guided journey. It's observation of a particular thing. The second one is non-observation right? So you're not observing anything. You're just sitting there, you're being, you're allowing things to just happen. You, you notice them, but you don't get involved. These are the only two areas. Now they've broken that down into many, called it loving kindness, called it, you know, um, metta, maitri, you know, whatever the meditations are called, Vedic tradition, Ayurvedic tradition, yoga tradition, but it's all the same thing. So in the yoga tradition, all your uh, meditations, whether it be which is where you're looking at one single point, or whether it be Brumry, where you're breathing, it's all focused on one thing to get you from the focus to the defocus. So, I mean, when I, when I sort of drop the you know veil on everything, it's really just one element. Even if you take the rosary, what is it doing? It's the same thing, right? We all have rosaries, different types. So we have beads and we're constantly, you know, sort of moving past the beads because it's keeping you in the thought. Again, object-based meditation or mindfulness journeys. And when you're looking at neuroscience, in fact, my neurofeedback stuff is in here, but when you're looking at neurofeedback, again, the idea is how do we get from high beta levels to alpha-theta levels? And how do we create that sense of, sense of breadth in the, in the brain so that the brain expands almost? Um, it's when you move them to a sort of meditative space. And that comes from like sound, vibrations, frequencies, again, something that every tradition uses in their music, um, in their spiritual music or their, you know, music to sort of elevate them spiritually. So all of it kind of ties into, into one thing. And I think it doesn't matter what stream you take, as long as you, you know, as long as you follow it, you will actually get the same results. Um, as you would with anybody who's kind of opened their eyes and decided to get on that spiritual journey.
0: You have a background that touches spirituality, um, uh, well, uh, healing and all these journeys that you mentioned, but you have as well a strong component of business and a strong component of understanding technology, organizations and different things and psychology. So just on these journeys that like you said, in history of religion, all the history of religion come back to the same narrative. It's a narrative, a vision, that people create and this vision, then organize society according to a myth that might, like you said, um, I don't know, some crush, some, some diluv, or whatever the stuff. But one of the things I'm particularly interested from the different areas that you've been studying, because what is interesting about you is that you have psychology initially, business and finance, and as well, you are involved in technology. And the challenge that we have nowadays is, how do you create this narrative without losing the tradition and the good things of the tradition, and moving forward. And I think this is where I think uh, well, there's a lot of studies, and I, I come from a philosophy background, which is kind of even goes almost to a nihilism. Um, and actually, as a, as a young student, I studied literature and arts initially before going to technology and business. And one of the things I found out was that if you look at history of literature, we arrive to the 20th century, and we kill the epics because of the Second World War and the first, and all these kind of uh, kind of killing the concept of the, of God, at least uh, as one concept. I'm talking from a philosophy perspective. I don't want to hurt anyone more religious. But how do you see these things, especially someone that is so in the cutting edge of all these areas, but at the same time keeping that really ground aspect of healing and all these areas?
1: Um, so I think uh, one of the uh, things you're touching upon here is that um, you know how how does one really bridge everything bring it all together, and uh, what components uh, are really uh, needed when it comes to complete holistic well-being, and that's what we're talking about. And I think holistic well-being, and I, and I, you know, if you look at even both our wellness, I'm very focused on thinking about how do I heal the whole person, and not just one element of the person. Um, because we are a matrix of all the various impacts that you know that we're faced with. So if you just look at um, you know the, the area is the mindset, which is number one. If your mindset isn't aligned, this is a fight. Oh, you know uh, Sunny, who's the founder of Brown Glass, and and we always like fight about this. And he's like, why do you keep talking about mental health? Mental health. There's so many different things, and why do you keep talking about mental health? I'm like, it's the all encompassing it's like the first thing right and he's like if you had no way you just make this company mental health and I'm like probably (laughs) yes I probably would because mindset is really you know your mental health your emotional health your behavioral health that all ties into one then you've got your physical health which is you know nutrition diet exercise or the nutrition and diet and then you have your exercise physical fitness sort of utilizing your body because you've been given this body right and and it needs to be nurtured and so you've got your physical body and then you've got your financial body, because if one of these bricks drop and one of these pillars drop, I mean, you are unfortunately, you know, vulnerable to mental health illnesses. Um, and and these areas, um, the, the most important area is the recovery area, which we really don't focus on. We kind of focus on all the other areas, but take very little time for recovery. Even when you look at the workplace, I mean, people are taking very little time for recovery. Um, look at parents. They're not giving their children time for recovery because they've become so focused on, on um. You know, making sure that their child is successful in ways that are actually, unfortunately, uh, not successful in mindset and mental health, but successful in, um, in in getting a job or successful as an object-based success, which is which is not like, uh, you know, expansive. Um, but the point is, all these things need to come together. And when you are working with somebody, uh, spiritual well-being becomes the journey, which once I fix these little problems, I open up this landscape. For the spiritual journey. And then you kind of get to that. I mean, in India and in Indian philosophy, um, although I don't have like very deep knowledge of it. I have abstract knowledge, of it, but because I've lived there and gone through it. There are stages in, in life. I mean, you've got a karma yoga who's a, who's a very busy karma is work. And it's a very busy kind of um, activity-based life, which you have to get through like from the ages of 18 to 32, you're focused on on getting that. And then you kind of get into like, um, you know, which is basically, um, and maybe the word also is some, some, it's like which is, which is making sure that you are you know creating a family creating life you're kind of working on that um, creating a lineage and then you have you know a spiritual journey which 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 starts where you actually get into um, you know focusing on your spiritual wealth and there's stages and and even the 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 sort of first nation people have these stages in life and and i think all the ancient cultures have these stages Um, I think that's what they tried to get into when they started to have uh, sort of retirement plans in the workplace as well, which is really taking this uh, sort of history and putting it into a a practice which is is concrete. but the stages have to align with the spiritual development. And and, and you find that people go through and you, I mean, I see this in my practice because I do have a clinic in India as well, which actually, I don't know if you know that, but uh, we have practitioners and, and therapists and counselors and work with psychiatrists uh, to ensure that, you know, we are working through the entire landscape of, of a person's uh, life journey. It's like a curated sort of well-being package as well. Um, and it really... It's very important to see where they are and how much effort they're putting in each vertical of their well-being to really build out a, a, a structure for them that will hold them moving forward. Because, like I said, all the pillars are equally important to have a stable home, which is your. Your mind, your your complete well-being, holistic well-being. If the food is not right, I mean, I know most people are talking about this, but your gut health is super important for your intuition. It's important for it's important for your feelings and your attitude and your um your moods and your you know whether whether you have anxiety or stress, etc. A lot of these things can be combat just with the food that you eat. So it's extremely important that we focus on all these uh, channels to get to a very healthy. Person.
0: Yeah, this this is uh, very powerful. And uh, so you touch these multiple components of uh, that are critical to our society. So the physical, the mental, the spiritual and the social economic, which I think mm-hmm. is key because I think we, sh- we cannot take that out. If you don't have bread or if you don't have money, you might be very anxi- anxious and you cannot get. But as well, this is kind of all the complexity of our society. But I would like as an expert in wellness at large, um, how do you define this wellness? And coming back more right now to your work and your philosophy that you've been building both in your clinics and both in your work.
1: When you, when you say, how do I define this? Uh, what, what I do generally is, I'll just give you a process. I do an intake with a person. I, I make sure you know that we understand every aspect of their life, even like how much they drink, how much they smoke, how much they sleep, like everything. Um, how much time they spend in, uh, you know, sort of uh, in recovery. Recovery is, like I said, sleep, meditation, mindfulness, all those various aspects, uh, which people generally tend to ignore. Uh, and once we've done that, we create a, a, I call it the legacy gene. It's actually, I patented it, by the way. So it's called the legacy gene, which is really building your legacy. Like, what is it, when you look at your life as, uh, say, for example, uh, you know, you're reading your obituary, what do you want it to say about you? And how do I build you up to be able to get to that place where you want, uh, how you want to be remembered. And it's not only about, um, you know, looking back and saying, okay, I've done all this, but getting on that purpose in life becomes something that is crucial because we find people um that are even now 20 who are going through an existential crisis and this was really the age of 40 where they said okay that person is now going through you know an existential crisis but it's happening younger because people are more purpose-driven now especially the youth of today so i mean I'm, i'm very interested in the youth and they are not the same breed of people that we were who who, who knew we had to get into a work channel or work stream that was organized. And we knew we had to, you know, be loyal to that, uh, to that company and kind of grow ourselves in that company. And and, um, our parents were even more like that, but this generation is not interested in that. They, they recognize that they they need to be able to think and they can create what they need to, and they don't need to be subject to anybody else's uh, uh, whims and fancy. So when they can't find that, at a young age, once they finish university, and they're lost, we lose them. We lose them to this vortex of mental health illnesses. So it's really important to understand that uh, our narrative of well-being is not for only a particular age group. It's for everybody in every stage. Uh, I mean, in my foundation, I'm even teaching two a grade two p- kids. I mean, they're they're seven and eight. Um, I'm teaching them um, what mental health and well-being really looks like and that's not only talking about you know what is a neurological disorder or what is a behavioral disorder not not getting into just clinical terms although I do teach that um the foundation does make sure that you know to create empathy this becomes conversational uh, and you can and you accept it as something that just is um just like you would somebody with a limp or somebody with a broken elbow you know so it's like you know creating that um language you know and once I realized it I thought but wait, one second, people are talking about things that they're feeling internally, and I need to be able to understand that. And I started my own personal research on, on what that really felt like, and that's why I started working with the Salvation Army, right? But the idea is that when we recognize a person's journey, the personal journey is different for each individual, because no two people are alike. And really focusing focusing their journey on what they want to achieve and accomplish and be in their life on an everyday basis is what we lay out as a foundation for them. And then, you know, we, we monitor whether they're kind of like on that journey or not, because, it, it, you know, it, you can change it. And it's not, you know, a consistent constant one, although the sort of the, the, the large picture, the bird's eye view is constant. And I think most people, when you do the therapy, because there are many therapies that I do for this. When you do the therapy, even through hypnosis, people know, people know what they've come here to achieve. But in the everyday noise, they forget and then they get sidetracked. So it's almost like regrouping yourself every day, like running a really good business, regrouping, silencing, understanding what your path is and remembering what you've come here for and then going on that journey is something really important. And I think I've always had these conversations with people who are a you know, driven in philosophy and they're like, why do you think it's important to even have a purpose? And we can have that debate all the time, right? I mean, it's really some people don't think it's important. If it's just being, then what's the importance of purpose? Then your purpose is being. And I have no problem with the purpose of being being, but, but remember that, that that is your purpose then. Because you can't say that there's no purpose when that is your purpose. So all of it comes back. I mean, there's all of it comes back to, to the one point of, of you and your truth. And are you focused on your truth? And can we help you focus on your truth and keep you rooted in that truth?
0: Yeah, this is very, very special and so difficult at the same time because, like you said, there's so much minefields around this that brings to the complexity of our society. Um, So I want to keep asking a couple more things on this, but I, I will go. So you have a fantastic career that goes from working with multiple different organizations, and at the same time, creating your own uh, foundation, and as well the, the, well, different iterations of companies, you work with technology and different things. So how did you been going through your career? Some of the highlights that you have on this career that is very wealthy, but a very, very complex, especially for someone with this wellness focus.
1: Everything's been the same for me. You know, everything is about empowering the human spirit. I mean, everything that i do has to have that otherwise i don't do it um in fact i i i mean you'll see i do so many things because if the path is changing for them i'm like okay wait wait, one second (laughs) this is not following what i need to do for you right um so if you take for example um you know starting like I, i suppose i started working with it because somehow i'm really drawn um to the new modes of communication communication is the key to anything, and if communication is technology at this point, how do I convert knowledge and a structure of of well being into technology become something that I'm innately sort of driven to do? And I know that we're not even like we're not even there because artificial intelligence has to become that smart, and we need to have not only. So I've been thinking about how to do a lot of different things, like even with uh, uh, you know with therapy and how you one could utilize technology for that and a lot of the things haven't been developed so I'm not going to share it here because I want to keep it to myself as to what I want to develop but uh, just to give you an idea I mean if we're able and, and we are if you're able to capture a person's entire stream of life and uh, from like even just Facebook if they've like ma- or, or Instagram because they managed to put all these sort of uh, life journeys for themselves you actually understand that this is what they're trying to get because remember it's a it's uh, looking at yourself from the outside and not from the inside. So it's so what do I want to be perceived as, right? So, so once you understand what they want to be perceived as, and then you talk to them, you get an idea of the truth and the gap between the truth and their actual life. And, and if you heal that aspect and you, you know curb that aspect through even just technology um you would i mean because a questionnaire and and some set, you know sort of um a, 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 you know analytics can help you just bridge that gap and then create a roadmap for them and this can be done with technology you don't need to do it like you even if you go to a counselor you have to understand that not everybody's trained in that depth of knowledge or even that sense of you know what what the larger picture should be but technology can do that and I've always been, you know, like working with two cars, which was my first company in Canada, where I literally worked with somebody who, uh, and it was an icann registered company that really only sold .com, .in, .com, .au, .everything. And I thought it was really interesting in those days as well, because I was involved uh, in business development. and meeting people who were creating extremely divergent platforms uh, was very exciting to me. And it exposed my mind to a lot more than I would have got from an educational uh, system in those days because I am 45 now at that point. It was just, just about booming, right? Um, so it was very, very different. Um, and even now with, uh, with what uh, Roundglass is doing, it's, it's, it's super exciting to me. And, and it's giving me the ability to create you know what i want to create when it comes to mental health because i've realized that because of my general you know overview on the subject i know exactly what verticals i need to put in to help people in the different stages of their life and and because my vision is on technology i know how this would link up i'm just looking for the right partners and and uh, the right people in the right positions with the right ideas who can sort of you know fructify that because i have the grand vision but, you know, technology, which is, which is focused on like programming and, and uh, you know, artificial intelligence and building scripts, et cetera, is obviously not my forte, um, but it kind of links in. But talking about the other organizations, empowerment, um, Budar Foundation only does empowering of people, right? So So we work with people in distress. We work with people who really have no income, but I don't think that they should be restricted to not having a good... Uh, care. So we've tied up with a lot of people who we pro- who provide them with uh, uh, care for mental health. Um, and it's all mental health. In fact, the, the keynote of the company is uh, um, a, pr- a program called Silence Toro, which means uh, silence, of course, you know, is an English word. Toro means break. So the whole idea is break the silence around mental health disharmonies. Start the conversation. Start the conversation because if you don't start conversing about this, you're going to feel a lot of fear um, and you're going to have misconceptions about uh, mental health and you you'll still alienate not only yourself if you feel like you have a mental health uh, challenge but you'll alienate uh, people with mental health challenges so it's very key to empowerment uh, it's key to also you know talking to family members and getting them to understand that there's no blame involved in this, and because when there's blame, there's shame, and then they do not speak up. And so again, they, you know, people in India are still tying, um, um, you know, people who have mental health illnesses because they don't understand how to handle it. Um, so there's a lot of conversations we're having in native languages so that you know th- there is exposure to this because the the educated classes obviously have access to this, but that that doesn't mean that they actually come on and speak uh, about it. There is access, but there's no sort of, they don't take it up because there's a lot of shame and a lot of stigma. Again, technology will take all that away if you can create ways in which people can adopt technology uh, through a platform of being completely confidential which again is a pro- is a bit of a problem because there's no confidentiality as you know online but anyway we're trying to see what can be done with that you know if something can be done great if, if something can't be done we really need to put our thinking caps on and see how do we how do we create those whether it's uh, you know secure socket layers or whatever it is now how do we create that to just make sure that this conversation is so private um and if it's on the cloud you know it's not you know it's eventually not private so so it's very uh, it's a scary situation because people are so careful about their privacy when it comes to being completely vulnerable about who they are. Yet on the other hand, I've noticed that if it's a phone call, like I run um, the, the wellbeing volunteers United, which is a, a fully voluntary run organization. Um, and I started it during this COVID period uh, on March 16th and the lockdown had, was gonna happen, I think on the 18th. And, and I suddenly was like, no, we need to do something. So, so as a channel, I'm always told what to do. So when you see my journey, it's kind of like things will work if they have to work and I'm not chasing it, you know, it happens. Um, So again, with this, and and I always know that, okay, if it's not meant to happen, you know, whatever, right. I'm not like, I'm not holding on to, uh, I'm not holding on to, uh, you know, rejection for it because I recognize that there's a greater truth and I'm tuning into that greater truth. So the Wellbeing Volunteers was something like that. It came from I was sleeping and I thought okay I need to do this and I woke up and I called I'm part of the Rotary Club in fact a third generation Rotarian very focused on community uh, so that, that's another part of me that is is, is has always been there uh, just through my genetics I suppose and I woke up and I called uh, a gentleman there and I said listen uh, you know mental health is going to be a huge problem with this COVID coming on and I don't think anybody's prepared and this is like 19 uh, to 29 2020 of you know, just all the way in March. So before this whole like, thing erupted. We started this event, um, this initiative and made 700 people joined. I remember looking, I remember waking up every morning and saying, oh my God, another hundred people have joined. Oh my God, like 200 people have joined. People want to give back. People want to be part of something that is larger than themselves, especially in this time. When you think of like even just our basic reactions of fight and flight. This is fighting. This is people coming together to say, we're fighting this. We're going to make sure that we can uphold people. We're going to make sure that we can, we can, um, we can support people in times of distress and the training was, you know, put very simply on a video was, was put on, um, you know a script uh you know volunteers had to just follow that script it was you know cbt model based it moved people from distress to kind of diffusing the distress and moving to U-stress if possible we had uh psychologists um and psychiatrists who were aligned so we could escalate the cause if there was psychosis being displayed hallucinations or any kind of uh, any kind of uh, uh, sort of history of illnesses escalated straight up we democracy well-being from a point of view of mental health and well-being in totality and like the the, the thing that you said when, when we were talking about you have to be financially well a lot of people called just because they just they didn't have the resources to survive they didn't have the money uh, that they that they needed to feed their families and and we had to then align with other sort of uh, um, NGOs, uh, non-governmental bodies, or uh, I think you call them not-for-profits as well. We had to align with them so that they could provide the food and you know, they could provide the basic necessities, while we continue to work with them on their mental state of mind, because you need resilience, and and resilience is something that can be developed as a skill. But you still need food to be able to even have any kind of concentration to be able to develop to be able to develop things. So it's very important that we sort of looked at this entire you know, spectrum, and made sure that these conversations were, were were able to kind of reach a larger audience. Then looking at something that happened before that, which was uh, the National Women's Parliament, that was all about empowering women for democracy, having a voice, tying into that whole Silence Thoreau thing, because if you don't have a voice, you can't you can't change your life. If you can't change your life, you are trapped in misery. If you're trapped in misery, it's a and and the stress is continuous it is it leads to massive mental health illnesses and so therefore you know it became a natural way to go um and that and i spent time on that as well
0: one of the things that i'm particularly interesting is so in the history of humanity and spirituality there's been always a narrative of light and darkness good and evil and this is more is increasingly more important especially right now when it start when we are starting to be using the words of Arari, to start having technology that can actually create androids. I've been interviewing a couple of them. Um, And as well new kind of human design. So how do you see this, especially when it comes to technology and data? Because it's an area that I know that you've been bridging this. But as well, especially, how do we keep our humanity, our spirituality, and this kind of balance that you are uh, well, preaching and as well doing with your actions. And like you said on this part, especially we are in a very, very sensitive bridge right now. So I just would like to see, but especially this dialectic because I, I interviewed for this, one of the biggest minds in, in AI. And uh, he, he, he was trying to kind of look at um, the good and evil as kind of more like a, a, an a evolutionary stage of, human, of, of nature and human symbiotic part. But in fact, as humans, we've been the prevalent species for the last 40,000 years. Um, and uh, of course, the last 40,000 years, mostly in the last 200 years, we evolved more than all the history of the thousands of years that we exist as humans. And now we are at the stage that the next 50 years are going to be completely super disruptive. So I would like to hear just this your views on this. Sorry, it's a bit provocative, but especially the, the idea of good and evil. Because I know that is and light and darkness and all these different things, so the balance on this.
1: Uh, I have my own uh, sort of thoughts on good and evil, and and, and I believe uh, just through all the work that I've done, and, and especially when I do uh, past life regression, and I get insights from working with people, um, they tell me their story of good and evil. And when I'm doing past life regression, many many times I've I've, I've faced people who've gone through traumatic lifetimes, and and they sort of state um, that you know they state what they've done, um, and you'll be surprised that the soul does not does not put it as good or evil. Uh, it actually puts it as experiences. Like, this was my experience in this life. And uh, whether that be, according to us, a positive experience or a negative experience, the soul is only gathering experiences. And that's really, really interesting because when that happens, um, you are, your eyes are open. Your eyes are open to choice. And, and that's where I think that even technology, we need to educate them to a level that whatever you have actually is a double-edged sword. You can use it for good, you can use it for evil. Let's educate you because you then can take whatever journey you need to take on it. Because we're never gonna be able to control the fact that, um, we're never ever gonna be con- able to control what humans utilize that for. So we might be able to create it and we hope we hope that it's utilized for good according to our construct of good but and this is you know a a massive debate about what's good and evil and and what's allowed and what's not allowed if somebody's trying to kill my child and i kill that guy am am i being bad am i being evil or you know like am i being good um it's so abstract right but even just looking at you know how do we build this and i know and i like I, I don't know if i said this but i have three children and and technology is such a big part and i'm constantly battling like how much time they should spend on it versus how much they need to expose themselves versus how bad it is for them and versus how good it is for them and it's a constant debate in my head because and, and also in our arguments at home because i'm like you know you need to get off you need to you know you need to have a designated time etc cetera, etc cetera. and so that's all conditioning of 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 the human being and and what is it that is is what it is that makes sense for them or what doesn't. So what avenues bring it into an addiction versus what avenues do you use how do you use it intelligently? So if you utilize it intelligently, what does that look like for you? Now, if it's somebody like me who, or somebody like you who's working with technology and needs to be online all the time, because my kids will say, but you have to be on a computer the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not the same thing because I'm not exposing my mind to, uh, to bits of information that are junk information. The way you put information in your mind, which is like junk food in your body is what comes out. So everything you put in is the same that comes out, right? So you have to, you know, be completely cognizant of what you're taking in because what is built out there you'll never have any control over so i whatever is out there on the uh, in the it space will be representative of what is there in this world and it is you know it is massively good and massively evil at the same time. And it is just gonna be a replication of that. And we have to build our own inner intelligence to navigate that because there'll never be a way in which we can only build good because the good, like, like one of the things that I did in the peace program and I put very clearly in the peace program is, engineers can build anything. How do you become that engineer that's not building a bomb? And how do you become that engineer that's creating something that's useful for society? It is it is what we need to do for the person we need to make them even more spiritual at this point to be able to utilize technology in the way that it's supposed to be utilized versus having that having that uh, sort of gap in that spiritual development and utilizing technology for things that may not, that may be harmful for humanity. I think that's really all it is because you are never going to be able to control what is being developed because anything being developed has a double-edged sword. Anything being developed has a double-edged sword. Whether I'm doing it for mental health and I'm trying to develop this, like I said, how much data, how much data sensitivity and privacy can I actually build into it? And even if I claim that I'm building it, how do I not know a hacker is working towards breaking the codes? How do I not know that that won't happen? there's no such security and so therefore it's trust it's trust that okay i'm thinking about it from a positive point of view and i'm thinking about it to be able to help you but i'm also making you completely vulnerable and naked in front of a universe that can take this data unfortunately and and we need to still create like barriers to that and hopefully create enough barriers so that data is not leaked um but there are people at the same time working on making sure that they can get this data so it's like you know, how do I make sure that I utilize it with my intelligence, with my spiritual awareness and focus it on developing and utilizing it for the positive versus utilizing it for the negative. And one of the things that really brings me to is how people are consuming data now. It's fast. It's, 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 it's extremely fast, right? Like I don't really, if I'm trying to give you a mental health program that that's taking more than, you know, five minutes of your time, I'm losing you. And yet you want those quick results. And how do I make sure that I give you those quick results without, minimizing the depth of the work that we're trying to do so it's a it's a huge task and it's a huge ask and i think that this is everywhere with every field that we look at whether it be facebook whether it be sort of you know in instagram whether it be uh, twitter we're really you know, have to be very cognizant of how much we want to expose and how much we want to use and how we're protecting ourselves while using that. There has to be education for that in schools, starting from the you know, the youngest of ages, because now kids get an iPad the moment they're like able to touch things so they're not even one year old and i've seen people who are like one who have ipads of their own and they're playing on it so it's kind of like a scary situation i mean they have this like you know this water simulation with like you know fish and you've got the kid kind of like doing this and parents think wow my child is like on this platform but i mean is it good or evil (laughs) like you know
0: it's a it's a key thing for our society because we try all. I think, in in terms of theory as well, everyone wants to do good or at least to please the people we love, the people we care. But of course, even our actions can hurt the people we love more. So it's quite complex, and it takes us to the nature of love, the nature of ethics, and so forth. But but um, so one of the things that uh, so the Potter Wellness, uh, your organization and the Potter Foundation, are particular focus on mental health and well-being and marrying with technology and ancient. Um, wisdom to deliver contemporary and effective solutions. Can you tell us about that? Because I think that is precisely answering to what we're talking about, but with the very practical areas that I think we need that more than ever.
1: Yeah. So, so the idea really is that again, like I said, we focus on the verticals of well-being. So we we focus on all. We focus on the mindset. We focus on the physical body. We focus on the nutritional body. We focus on the financial body, and we focus on the recovery. When we put these patterns together for you, we create for you a matrix that you we we monitor and we curate to help you kind of lead that life. Um, so it's focused on that when you take it into the workplace, though, when we, when we take this aspect, um, to companies, uh, we focus it online as well so that they can have access to, you know, all, uh, practitioners, um, which are, you know, your nutritionists, uh, oh sorry we start with blood tests so we start with actually understanding what's happening inside um and what where you are map that with a with a general practitioner and then we move uh to understanding what's happening with your with with the aspects that you've been working on or not working on and how do we bridge those gaps um a lot of a lot of this requires uh you know wisdom development because i've had our coaches like literally go to people's homes And this was before covid um go to people's homes and just you know try to wake them up to get them to do their exercise because people want to make a change but they don't so you know it'll last for two days but it won't you know take the six month pattern and and for us it's like you pay up front for six months and we will make sure that in six months we we turn you around by working on this so for mindset practices there we're using a lot of counseling Uh, We're using a lot of, uh, we're using a lot of uh, healing through uh, meditation and mindfulness through sound healing. Uh, We use neurofeedback, EEG biofeedback. Um, We test you. So it's all evidence-based healing. Uh, We make sure that everything that you are, um, that you are going through, we can map. We also have uh, the use of the Korean camera, uh, which actually, you know, takes takes an image of your emotional body. As the, as, the, as the heat signals on your body. So it takes that, it's technology. Uh, we take that photo, we analyze it, and we show you the before and after. So when you come in, we take a photo and we talk about your journey, and then we work on like, okay, what would be really essential for you to, to what would be essential for us to work with you on? And uh, then while we work with it, we constantly like check, through looking at the images, through looking at the, at the biofeedback uh, to make sure that you're on that path. And we've seen massive results of uh, peak performance development. In fact, I've worked with, um, you know, very um, like professional sports people who need to be on point the whole time. And we've done these like 20, 25 sessions per person to ensure that they actually maximize their utility of their brain capacity and their emotional and spiritual sort of connect. And, and this is really how we, how we do it. And we've got feedback from people saying that, and especially like this, this, um, uh, this uh, sort of national athlete, he said, you know, usually when the ball is with me and he was a soccer player, the ball is with me, and I know that I need to score that. And I, I start feeling this anxiety kind of brim up. I don't feel that anymore it's my like the superhuman flow power comes in at that point which was the exact crucial point for me in the past so we're converting like little nuances of your well-being little nuances of your mindset to be able to make you that much more successful as a super superpower to yourself and this is measurable so we're using evidence based work to measure whatever i might be saying in this abstract construct we've actually put into practice with technology based constructs to see that it can, you, you know, it, can, you, it can give you the overview of the change because once you begin to see the change, you will be more invested in that in your own change. So we always want to do evidence based work with them and Pudar Wellness is kind of very, very focused on that at this point.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really so important. And I think this brings me to one question I want to talk uh, about as well round glass, but before I go in there. So um, what you're doing mostly is the first stage of uh, identifying ourselves or the self. There's a lot of theories and a lot of right now trends and there's more than trends, technological and scientific studies about how we can actually identify ourselves to improve our performance, to improve a lot of different things. But this brings as well to the point of... Uh, in one end, singularity, and how we can actually use technology to empower us and to make us more advanced. But I think mostly, if you look at Ray um, Ray Kurzweil, he mentions that we are in the next 20 to 30 years we're going to have some kind of singularity in the sense that humans or machines are going to start thinking, and we are already getting there slowly. So, I, and I think when we program machines, and it's particularly important because all the technology big corporations, uh, from Apple to Google, especially Apple and Google, they are very conscious of when you're creating software and you touch that right now or coding, that your bias passes to the code. Because of course, you do it even uh, without knowing. Most of the the code is done by men as well. So there's the gender, there's the bias. If you are in London, you have a way of coding that is different from New York or different from Moscow or different from New Delhi. And I think the challenge that we see right now is that this is, in one end there's there's identification of, of uh, our own identity, uh, but as well, there's the spirituality. There's actually, there's a series from National Geographic that I really love, Billions. I don't know if you saw that is actually looking at uh, uh, artificial intelligence in the future, and as well, our human uh, extension. So how do you see this, especially someone that is so within technology, within wellness, but as well, you have the component that is normally people that are in wellness they really focus in one thing or at least in, in healing or in different areas and Do you have this overview I think you are the only person that I can talk about all these areas and you can cope and actually create a fantastic stuff because when I go with people that go on there they really know about that but they don't understand it. and actually they have a lot of prejudice but it cannot stop this because for instance like you mentioned uh, and I will just touch this because I think it's important is for instance most of the the apps and the, the phones that we use from Apple to, to Google to all the biggest players, Samsung and so forth, they know that there's a component of adrenaline that comes to the phone and that is addictive. And uh, at the moment, there's a component that, for instance, we all spend like four or five hours on the phones or, or devices. Um, sometimes it's for work, but sometimes it's for entertainment. Sometimes it's even for researching. And our devices are almost like a cyber part of us because they know about how much time we are making exercise. They know about our wellness. They even know from a keyword perspective, our sexuality, our gender, or our heathen things. And they can actually predict a lot of these things. So this is going to be accelerated massively. We're talking about the next five to 10 years, we're going to have a shift that never happened in history of mankind. And of course, people like you are more important than ever, because you have that spiritual um, base. But you have, as well, an understanding of technology. So I would like to touch this, because this is something that very few people are speaking. And when you're speaking, you get in a kind of dystopic narrative that we are all afraid of fake news and all these different things, or deep fakes, which is a massive problem right now. But at the same time, this brings the most important thing of this balance, the, the narrative, the structure that you're talking about. So I would like to touch this because I think it's a very, it's probably the biggest uh, um, uh, challenge in the history of mankind as we have it. And I think you, this can go to a kind of a matrix universe or Star Wars or, or even worst or terminator or it can go a bit more like uh, i always like to use the star trek because it's a bit more positive at least the humans still exist in thousands of years i would like to hear a bit that opinion but as well i'll do you bridge the spirituality of technology
1: so i uh you know let me just uh dennis this is also such a large question uh yeah i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna start with the one aspect first um i think when we're talking about when i'm looking at what's happening at this point I'm very, very disappointed because the narrative is singular. It is not, uh, it's not taking a global point of view. Like even when you look at these apps and I'm looking constantly at like, what are some of the mental health mindfulness-based apps? What are some of the well-being apps? They're talking about um, a North American, um, you know, some kind of society. Like everything is, oh, let's do a gratitude journal. Let's do this, let's do that. Uh, And, you know, people who are uh, more from sort of ancient civilizations, don't really do gratitude journals, they, because that's you know that's not something that we would we would look at. We're very, uh, very conscious of the fact that life is uh, life is cumbersome, difficult, and yet we make the best out of it. We're, we don't we don't only focus on oh life has to be hunky-dory and then life is good, right? We understand the pain areas that go into living and are are you know completely accepting of it. Um, so if I was to give um, an app that says hey map your gratitude. Uh, to an Indian audience, you know, I would lose them. I would lose them because that's really not what they're trying to do. I mean, you know, that's not even something that's relevant. If I'm giving, if I'm giving um, a sort of a, a mental health platform to um, an audience, which, which actually believes in community that's only focused on themselves. Like, for example, um, you know, uh, being happy uh, from a very I'm just giving you a very light example being happy uh, depends on you and you alone and you can keep yourself happy is something that you know people are, are talking about all the time uh, and you've seen that that's really that really isn't true at this point and uh, you know when, we, when we we're talking about and so but yet yet you will see all the the like it's almost like when I read these things just to be really blunt and I see what's happening, it kind of seems like nobody's really thinking, you know, they're just following a trend. They're not really thinking about whether this makes sense or not. Um, they're like, like you said, that their own personal biases are, are definitely there. Um, like for example, yesterday I had this conversation with uh, a colleague, uh, uh, who was, was just narrating, um, um, a scene where he said on, 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 some meditation app they had, uh, they had, uh, the scenario of um, a city noise and people had to meditate when they had the choice to put on a city noise versus like, you know, rainwater or, or you know, a stream or any other kind of birds chirping kind of uh, sort of background sounds. And he was like, you know, that's so weird. Like, why would you do that? And I thought that was really intelligent because people respond to noise, sound, etc. very differently. So for, uh, you know, when I was younger, and I give you an example, uh, my mother decided oh, that she would come and, ha- you know, set us up in, in Canada and she'd go back to Muscat because that's where she lived. And she couldn't hack it for more than like <laughs> two days. She was like, this place is just too, too quiet and uh, this place is, uh, you know, kind of fe- feels death- deathly to me. I don't want to be here. And she left my brother and I, we were like, I, th- I think uh, 19 and 20 she said, guys, fend for yourself because this is gonna kill me. And we, we fend, we, that's what we did, right? We were just there on our own. Uh, but the sounds, going back to the sounds, it's very important that we that we bring in uh, many variables because uh, if you see the mapping of, of, of individuals, it is all different every single thing that a person perceives is unique to themselves. So with the coding that we're trying to build in, the uniqueness has to happen, which means the conversations of the creators have to happen with a diaspora of of, of communities, and not just one sort of a community. And I know now people are talking a lot about, you know, sexuality. They're talking a lot about, uh, you know, gender bias. They're talking a lot about um, spiritual constructs and, and religion, et cetera. All these things have to come together when you're even thinking about one line of coding, because like another thing that I keep focusing on is even just the conversations, why are they happening for, why is mental health, well-being, et cetera, talking to an audience that's, you know, 29 to 40, why is it not talking to the youth? You know, when I asked my, I remember when I started with this Bodar Foundation thing, I told my kids, I said, listen, do some research. They were seven and eight, already knew how to get onto the net. I said, do some research about how kids can keep themselves happy and how they can keep themselves well. Um, My uh, younger one said, there's nothing there. (laughs) There's nothing on the net that actually teaches me that. Uh, And my older one says, yeah, apparently it's your responsibility to keep me happy. And I thought that was a failing. On our part because if I if my kids are online and they can't find ways to keep themselves happy uh, and I have all the ownership to keep my children happy I am taking away their core skill of independence at that point and yet we're not we're whatever we're building we're not building for people at different stages we're building it with a very very Clear construct. And I think somebody has to take an overview to see, okay, what is really being built? Where can, what are the gaps? And how can we then fund companies that are, that could create technology for those gaps? And I think that's really relevant. And I did some work with the well being volunteers. I had people from all over the world also connect and students from all over the world. And this bunch of students kind of did this research about what for them was mental health and well being. And most of them, whether they're from St. Andrews University, I mean, that's, you know, uh, really well known. We had a lot of students from there. They said that there's nothing out there that actually is able to give them uh, mental health and well-being according to what they required. And I thought, you know, this is 2020 and we're still not able to do it. So, you know, we we also see when I'm talking to people, I mean, I, I work with students all the time, and when I'm talking to them about their personalities and what they're going through, they have seven personalities, because now the internet personalities also manifest in reality, right? Seven different personalities that they're juggling all the time, and we expect them to be same, like... <laughs> It's difficult. You have a different personality on Facebook because your family members are out there. So you're very different. You have a different personality on Instagram because you can actually block your family members from being there. And you can have a more sort of uh, uh, a more racy one um you you have and this is for the youth i'm talking about you have uh, snapchat where you can just say whatever you want and be whoever you want and you see the evil coming out more in the snapchat and more of the bullying coming out there because it's deleted right um so you have that um whether it's really deleted or not is a different story but anyway we, uh, but it's deleted from there Conversation. You have a different personality with your peers, uh, which is in a larger group. You have a different personality with your with your very close friends. You have a different personality with your mother and a different personality with your father and a different personality with your teacher. You know, there's there's many different hats that you wear, and there's me. This is creating a a lot of disharmony in just a person's personal experience of themselves. So. Where is, the, where is the narrative online where we're teaching them? And this is again, something that I think about when I'm creating things for mental health or even thinking about creating things for mental health. How do I make sure that they are limiting them time on the net with me? Even though I'm creating something which is for them, how are they limiting their time with me? And I want to make sure they're, they're limiting their time because any kind of therapy or any kind of work that I do, the idea is to empower you so much that you don't need me anymore. My success is that you don't need me anymore. Whereas you know, all these other codings that you're talking about, yes, they want you to be addicted. I don't want them to be addicted to me. So how do I create that? How do I become that platform that they, that they, that they come to nourish their souls and then they go back out there and they build their life? Uh, how do I create that? It's not something that people are thinking about because they're thinking about, how do I make sure that people stay with me? How do I make sure my content is really good so that they constantly need me? How do I make sure that I'm providing them ABCD thing? How do I, and I'm like, that's gonna create mental health disharmony because they're gonna again, just be nurturing themselves on a platform. And we are going to, we're going from a larger construct to going the more narrow and more narrow. And now our whole life is just on our hands with our, you know, phones, right? Like it's just here. We've moved from being here to just being here. And yet we're saying, okay, from here now, how do I get here? Is that not like really weird, A weird juxtaposition that we had all this, then we went here and now from here, we're saying, how do I go from here into a larger construct? extremely difficult to do. And we're extremely sensitive we have to be. We have to have, in every organization, somebody who's working on ethics and morality of building that within the system that they're creating. I think these conversations need to be key from an advisory council point of view in every organization because otherwise we cannot cannot be developing something that is going to be harmonious and, and really uplift people in the long run not short-term returns, I don't really care about that, but just long-term returns. And and I worry because that's something that I was working on just the other day. I mean, in fact, yesterday I was having a conversation and the conversation was really about, um, you know, people's belief that that poverty is really one of the key indicators of, uh, you know, mental health illnesses. But really, it's not poverty, but it's the circumstances. And when we're talking about the circumstances and the causal relationship between the circumstances that people are in and the mental health that's caused, I think you're very vulnerable so in the in the past it was all about sort of wealth and and you know understanding that you know people with uh, with low-income uh, families are really exposed to toxins at a higher level they have inadequate nutrition they have like you know sort of acute stressful lives that can lead to sort of the onset of depression etc cetera, etc cetera. but now it's actually the educated classes that have that because they've alienated themselves from the community because they have everything online like i'm I'm not um, sort of um, somebody who who doesn't recognize this just because I go through it. I mean, I'm sitting in Canada right now. All my friends are in India. I've come out with my children and I'm okay. And why am I okay? Why am I okay? I mean, I I think, why am I okay? Why is it that I don't need anybody anymore? Uh, And and is that a sign of independence or is it a sign of being being okay with the alienation that's taken place because of the fact that we think that we've got everybody on our handheld. We can communicate with them. We've limited our actual depth of conversation to a more generalistic one, and we're not okay with that. I mean, we, we're we not even, I'm not missing, and that's a problem for me. Why am I not missing that one-on-one interaction with somebody where I'm sitting face-to-face with them having a cup of tea and, and talking with them? Uh, because all this technology, which I've been exposed to has reframed my way of thinking when it comes to actual community and we're just trying to create community online and we're not focusing on the fact that there's so much i get out of body language we're just floating heads on a screen and that's not us there's so much more and yet you know we're building everything based on let's just get you from like a you know a 5d reality to a 2d reality and maybe in the future not a 2d reality but now let's put virtual reality and augmented reality in the same space and create a real life for you, which you already had outside, you know? So it's, it's something that one really needs to get their head around. Like we had, this is like, you know, I often wonder, like if there was a God who is really out there, he's probably looking and saying, I give you everything. I give you everything and you (laughs) have destroyed everything and now you're trying to create things. Like don't take my job, man. (laughs) I already gave it all to you.
0: Now, that's the complexity of humanity, and I think you touched the most important thing. So um, we're passing the one hour now, so I I have two more questions and I'll try to be synthetic in that. So um, in terms of, uh, so you're working with Round Glass, that is, and uh, you are the global head of mental health. Um, Can you tell us about this company that is trying to do something very interesting? Um, Yeah, just a bit about that.
1: The first thing they wanna do is remove this whole title of global
0: health or global head of (laughs) it.
1: Organization, right? They want to make sure that it's all demo, you know, it's demo democratic in every way, even in the the way in which we speak about it. Um, so the idea really is that you live well-being, right? You live it through uh, all the various aspects, whether that be uh, mindfulness and meditation, whether that be the way in which you eat in terms of nutrition. So it follows the same sort of pattern of my thinking. Um, and the founders, uh, you know, somebody I worked with. Uh, in 2015, when they were trying to start setting up this company, and I kind of brought on like a whole bunch of people to to help sort of understand who the startups were in this area, bringing them together to create this um, Google of well-being. Very, very structured, very, very well thought out, scientific in its approach, making sure that every aspect of it was not just what people are saying and wasn't a me too, and it isn't a me too company, doesn't want to be a me too company, but really wants to think about, um, what is authentic what is real and how do we live that life of authentic well-being and you are you know even the holistic is w h o l right it's not h o l it's it's holistic and we want to make sure that you are a whole person when you come in here and when we when when the when we provide you in fact they also have an end of life journey which is which is amazing and and i think the person who's leading that is also quite phenomenal in his uh, in his approach to uh, to end of life and people are afraid of talking about these things. And we have it on our platform. We have on our platform, a Thali Collective, which is about food and nutrition and food is about community and how do you, community as an even if you're, it's your family, it's about how do you develop that, um, that conversation with, with, with each other. Then we have uh, mindfulness and meditation with with key experts, which we are curating on an everyday basis. And not, this is important, and not just the good English-speaking ones who can, you know, relate to an English-speaking audience, but people authentically embedded in the in the service that they provide versus just a brand name. And that's very critical because right now, what I see in well-being are just a few brand names, and I can, you know, I can just hop the names out. But you know, where are my authentic teachers? Where are the people who are authentically just focused on that and really don't have time to look up and breathe and kind of say, hey, you know, what's my marketing? So I want to make sure that you know. And and we are making sure that we have that caliber of four, where you get real authentic knowledge uh, when you come to round glass. And we give you a journey through which you can navigate your well-being and touch the various aspects of your life. And in essence, we also are building out uh, a well-being sort of lounge platform, uh, which is a... a a very well curated platform, which will do uh, the evidence-based work, which are, which is going to be sort of as a ripple effect online as well. So this is this is really, um, you know, what we're building, and it's very exciting actually, because it's only utilizing technology to drive it. Um, so it's a very so the reason that I was motivated is because there was a company that wanted to invest uh, in technology to deliver authentic well-being, and I thought well, if that's the case, then, you know, I'm right there because uh, my purpose marries it. And I would love to bid this for a global economy because I understand, I understand people from all around the world, because I've luckily been exposed to people from all around the world. And if I can build that with really key masters, you know, so key masters means like researchers and uh, technology experts, if I can build that, I mean, I think I've done my job for my life. And that's why I aligned with this purpose and mission. And I think, and one of the things I keep saying is that anybody who joins this company, um, and by the way, this is not a marketing tool. I mean, honestly, I was saying this like the other day, I said, you know, people should be so happy to join this. You're getting paid for your own self-actualization. You're getting paid for your own spiritual awareness. You're getting paid. And you're, getting, and you're doing that and you should be honored to be here because it's not about, you know, and I've been talking by the way because I've been hiring people as well. So I've been talking to people from like these different sort of organizations that are, I won't take the name, I don't want to be sued, but <laughs> from these different organizations that are like sort of names in uh, in this area. And and they keep talking about how focused they are on revenues and, and how focused they are on like, just making sure that you have uh, customers. They're not focused on, you know, what are they del- sort of delivering? And that's kind of like a secondary thing. Like even the way I'm thinking about how it's going to be delivered is 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 almost curated and mastered. And there's a whole sort of journey before in terms of pre-production that is superbly uh, intense. And therefore, we give you a product that's that rich. Um, and other companies are not doing that. And you know, I've heard it. Like I'm telling you from people who are who I'm bringing on. And this already shows me that. Uh, there is space um, and for what i 'm doing, and there is space for what this entire company is doing and it will be successful we 're not focused on on sort of uh, numbers we're focused on content and we 're focused on delivering authentic content so I think that 's the differentiator
0: no oh, that 's amazing and uh, so as a wrap up and um um, it has been a fantastic one hour and a half, and I probably will want to do a second hour, but we'll do that uh, in the next future when you take, have some time to brief and to rest as well. So last <laughs> one, so you've been, uh, you've been um, working as the chief strategy officer within the National Women's Parliament. And, and this is particularly important. I've been writing about COVID-19 as a way to shift, especially to look at mental health care, but women are key for mental health care because they are the ones driving the children, driving family, and as well, there's a massive gender and especially in, in leadership. So I would like to, to finish with that and as well some of your summary of that.
1: Um, so I, I basically took on the role as chief strategy officer of the National Women's Parliament only because of the fact that I wanted to bridge the gap. I wanted to make sure that their voices were loud enough to impact change. So right now in our democracy in India, this is specifically, there's a sort of a 30% uh, uh, rule, I suppose, of, of women being able to uh, join uh, politics of any any sort of uh, state, et cetera, right? But, but the point is that they were just puppet heads. Like nobody was really thinking. It was still the men driving that. And, uh, and that would continue to happen if you weren't educated in, uh, you know, all aspects of democracy. And so one of the things we did here was actually break it down to what are those various aspects, whether it be justice, law, uh, sort of, uh, you know, the kind of policies that were out there, teaching uh, teaching people about policies, connecting air non-governmental organizations, governmental organizations, um, uh, getting people to communicate with uh, sort of leaders in, uh, in uh, sort of corporate life, leaders in the personal life. Just getting that ecosystem together and having those conversations to build people's innate skills to be able to make intelligent decisions was something that we that I was focused on doing and mental health was just one aspect of it. But, um, a, you know, a large aspect of it, because if you don't have um, and I see this, even with the Wellbeing Volunteers United that I've had now uh, women, you're right, feel the, the need to actually uh, sort of have these conversations more. Yet, because of this uh, patriarchal society, and they're so limited, um, even to pick up the phone to call and to talk about what they're going through is something that they generally will not do because they know that their spouses or their people at home can hear them. And it's difficult for them to, you know, and I'm not talking about the masses here. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about areas of society where this uh, you know, this disparity is a lot um, because we were not only talking to the elite even here. So so you'll see in all my work, I don't want to talk to only the elite. I want to talk to the masses. I want to talk to everybody. I want to make sure that people, that I do not forget people. And so therefore this is also a conversation that we're having with everybody, whether you, whether you have the education, whether you don't have the education, Whether you have the knowledge or you don't have the knowledge, I'm giving you a platform to to equalize that knowledge so that you can have a voice. And we've seen people, I mean, I've seen stories of people who have no education, who've built phenomenal things for their communities. And this is all community-driven. It's all about how do I impact my community? What can I do as a a thought leader in my community, whether I'm educated or not, to be able to build out solutions that can um, aid um, our sort of our people. And this is important because we often feel that we are not in a position of power, so we can't do anything. And that is a problem. You are in a position of power. If you feel like you're in a position of power and you can mobilize other people, and that's the job of the National Women's Parliament is to to take your idea, mobilize people around your idea, uh, and to help you create change. And and that... um, is something I'm, I'm super excited about. I mean, we're at this point because of COVID 19. Unfortunately, this is not an online initiative. Uh, most of it was offline. So even though we have meetings online, um, the, the the real change is on the ground. Um, and the real change is through, you know, actually, because you have to recognize that. Technology only reaches, uh, you know, they may reach 90% of, of, of the public um, just because they have smartphones, but it's still not a place where they would be able to access this information because they wouldn't have the know-how of how to. So this takes place generally in uh, meetings which are in the communities, uh, which are held face-to-face. Uh, so that is why that has taken us sort of a backseat. People are not able to, uh, you know, create that massive arena online. But I think in another five years or another, you know, you know, 10 years, we'll be capable of doing that. But it's a long, it's a long cycle because we have to educate, educate them in and women are not educated in uh, in ut- even utilizing their phone apart from just making a phone call um, in India.
0: Yeah, and this is a problem not just in India, it's still a big problem around the world. So I think this matriarchal versus patriarchal historical part. So. Um, well, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> this has been a fantastic journey, so one hour and a half, which is a fantastic uh, timing. So I want to thank you for these uh, inspiring and as well very sharp insights, which is quite unique because you managed to to condense so much wisdom and to sell so much practical knowledge. Um, I, I definitely will want to have a second one. I have a lot of questions that this came and took a lot of notes. Um, so. Rakiti, I want to really thank you so much. It's been a fantastic honor. Namaste, as they say. And and uh, and, uh, I would (laughs) yeah, thank you. So um, yeah, we'll we'll wrap up now, but definitely I want to do a point a part two because this just I think we just start touching the things, and definitely we'll publish this one first. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much Dennis for having me, this has been really lovely to actually have these conversations and your questions were so insightful so I'm sure that anybody who's receiving this is receiving it because of the questions and the questions sort of propel the answers so thank you so much for your fantastic sort of journey together.